Hello and welcome to episode 365 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. Hello. Who is it this week? Is this Jermaine Effetti? I believe Jermaine Effetti was number 65. Okay. I, I should know by this point that I should have the jersey numbers. <laughs> Excel file. Kyle Ben should know. Uh, you know, we didn't hear from Kyle Ben last week. I'm a, I'm a little shocked. Uh, I do not have Tremaine in there, although I'm pretty sure he was, in fact, 65. Uh, you know, offensive lineman Frank Garcia. Oh, wow. Long Going time, way back. Longtime member of you the You really went Panthers. through like 90s and early 2000s UW offensive lineman. Well, what I did was I just went through an all time UW roster by mm. number and picked out whoever's name seemed notable to me. <laughs> And, again, and they were all offensive linemen <laughs> from the 90s. Well, in, in the 60s, I think that was going to be the only option. <laughs> I don't know who else was going to come out there. Uh, I believe Frank Garcia was part of the 91 team, wasn't he? Might have, might have redshirted that year, but he was definitely at UW in 1991. So Him and Joel McHale. Uh, was part of the Whammy in Miami. So there you go. There you go. Uh, also... Is the three is this being our 365th episode? You could now listen. Wow! To a Pelton Cast weekly episode every day of the year if you want to oh, do for man. Right. And you so want to do that starting be, in episode one? It'd be a Julie in, in Julia style project <laughs> where you listen to one Pelton Cast a day, and then I, I I guess you record your own podcast. I don't, I don't know, know this. Know. I'm not familiar with this reference. Julian Julia. It was like a writer who did who did Julia Child's cookbook and did. I don't know if it was a recipe or day. I mean, oh, making that her part. name was Julie, and yes. Julia Child was the cookbook, and did one per day. Yes, and then made content based upon around that. Yep, for their own story based upon Julia Child's uh, how they evolved, and it was really a, a transformation of a human person for the last year, but with the central focus point being Julia Child's recipes. But actually, you understand a year in the life of a human being. Wow, yeah, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. It is. And you could do that with the Pelton cast. <laughs> you could do that with the Pelton cast if you so desire. Please don't. <laughs> Definitely do not. Especially the audio quality on those early episodes. <laughs> the, no, one, no one wants that. The thing that. is with all of the extra pods we've done, we've blown past one year of podcasting. Oh, I mean, we are well over 500 podcasts all go. time. I think solidly probably around 600 by this point, I would bet. Uh Let's get into our beer this week as we continue our search for Seattle's best IPA. We're starting this week with the Stoop Citra IPA. Okay. Would you question me whether this actually counted? I just, I really don't understand the rules of this. You're, this is, look, you, you make complicated brackets. You've made some sort of rules perfectly for the normal brackets. Per, you make perfectly normal brackets. <laughs> I'm just trying to understand what the rules are for what we're drinking. It's got to be an IPA. You're, you're doing okay there? I am doing okay. <laughs> it's got to be an IPA. I told you, this is my flu game before we started, a.k.a. slightly tired. He was staring off into the distance for a while, <laughs> right before we went, got going. Went to like, a Rainier's you know. game and drank a few beers during the day, and now it's nighttime. Wait, did you drink Rainier's? No, they don't have Rainier at Rainier's games. What? This was actually a topic of conversation and, while I was there. It better have been. Yeah. No, it's kind of wild because literally everywhere you look, there is the Rainier logo. On the taps, the tap handles, there is a Rainier tap handle. What would be Rainier? In this case, it's for the Rainiers. And it's Michelob Ultra. 
That is that is very offensive. Get it together, Cheney Stadium. No, 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 no. This is I, this is not a Cheney Stadium issue though. They have many fine local and craft brews. Okay. So Cheney Stadium is doing what they should be doing. They've do got they? seven C's. Okay, got, they don't have say. Heidelberg, but they do have seven C's there. So Cheney Stadium is doing a good job of representing the beer in the area. Uh, so you're saying the issue here is Rainier moving out of the Seattle area? I think a larger issue might be Rainier beer. Well, that was the that was the until we there's got there's an even larger issue of the beer industry and in, in the United States and the consolidation of legacy brands. The intel that we got was that Rainier is not interested in having any sort of partnership with the Rainiers. I and look, it's wild. We're going to use our platform to do what we can here. And obviously, it's a, a, a real platform. Many people at Rainier Brewing listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Or at Pabst Miller Coors. What, what are they part of now at this I, point? Miller Coors. Yeah, okay. I mean, the thing is, I feel like it comes down to distributors. Anyway, I, that's way too complicated. But like, it was a little shocking that so they didn't have We got to find either. the Macklemore banner. And we got to get Rainier at Rainier's games. We need to have some sort of special Pelton cast partnership where they bring in Rainier Tallboys specifically for Cheney Stadium. When the Pelton cast headlines, Cheney Stadium. I Look, they, they have music festival there, don't they? Do they? I'm pretty sure they held a music festival there Ian's last Claus fall. Ian Claus thing is two nights sold out at Stadium High School. Oh. <laughs> that that's their thing is that's what they want to have for us sold out Cheney Stadium for I mean, the Pelton Cats. That's our number one thing. But also, I don't annoying. know why we're in Tacoma. Yeah, <laughs> it's not, not really our plans. I would I would for sure go to a stadium high school at Unimquad show. I mean, yeah, everybody would. It's a lot of tickets <laughs> if they're both sold out. <laughs> true, 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 true point. Anyway, special guest Joseph Gordon Levitt <laughs> wearing clothes from the 1920s and dancing his way around. Uh, anyway, he'll choreograph the show. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of finger snapping. So you drank many non-Rainier beers at the Rainier's game. Yes. And that's why it's your flu game. <laughs> but he, what we many are, hours later, this is my flu game. <laughs> what we were drinking here is the Stoop Citra IPA. And you questioned whether this is in fact like... So the rules are, again, has to be an IPA, has to be available year-round, which Citra IPA Can't is. be hazy. Hazy IPA is a different, slightly different beer style, even though it falls within the IP, larger IPA family. So, uh, the Citra IPA is named for the fact that the Citra hop. Uh, here's their exp- explanation. We like to call this one sunshine in a glass or sunshine in your belly because it won't stay in that glass long. Our Citra IPA is designed to be light and bright in both color and body. Your first sniff will elicit images of tropical fruit and citrus thanks to a healthy dose of Citra hops. Enjoy a pint of this, and you might just find yourself gazing skyward, pondering how in the heck sunshine made its way into your glass. Now, unfortunately, your glass will be the only place in the Seattle area that sunshine made it uh, this afternoon. That's fine. Come on, we're complaining about the weather now. I know. It was you only, were complaining about it earlier. It was only no. That was the other reason this was my flu game was cloudy it's in cloudy Seattle enough. for two days. It also was sunny much of the day. After being sunny, I'm now freezing all of the time. Oh, when, when we were at Luca's baseball game on Sunday morning and it was like 58 degrees, and I'm wearing a hoodie. Like I wasn't like like out there in a t-shirt and shorts or anything, and was still just so cold. So cold. We've become accustomed to the heat. <laughs> Been accustomed to a certain lifestyle. I don't know if it is 
citrusy. Yeah, they were is they really hyped it a little bit too much. It kind of made me just be like, I mean, like, I enjoy the this citra IPA. The marketing was too citrus or whatever, and I don't, I don't know if it's living up to it so far. All right, well, let's get to this week's toasts. Starting with the Seattle Thunderbirds, who completed a 4-1 win over the Winnipeg Ice in the WHL Finals on Friday night at the Showware Center with Taco Taco Time Coast, Randy Cote in attendance. Former uh, T-Birds in arena host, I believe, was his his responsibility for the T-Birds. Winning the Ed Chenoweth Cup for the second time in franchise history, the T-Birds advanced to the four-team Memorial Cup starting May 26th to decide the Canadian Hockey League champions, hosted by the WHL rival Kamloops Blazers. Ooh, I hate those Blazers. Fierce rival Kamloops Blazers. Just like your relationship with the state of Oregon, your relationship with Blazers is Uh complex depending on which one. And Kamloops. (laughs) Seems like maybe a lovely place to visit in the summer. Hmm. Uh, Not as nice as, what what was the place we were no, the place that we were told where they used to have the hydroplanes. Oh, Kelowna. Yes, Kelowna. Home of the Rockets, obviously. Banff is actually supposed to be very, very nice. I'm and sure Banff is nice. named. Uh, the winners, uh, they'll face, in addition to the, the host Kamloops Blazers, the winners of the Ontario Hockey League and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, which I forgot to look up to see whether those series had ended by today. Now, so it's the Canadian Hockey League Championship. That's correct. And the Seattle Thunderbirds... Who play in Kent. That is correct. Are participating in it. Kent because Washington, of the fact that the technically the Western Hockey League, which is primarily made up of Canadian teams, is part of the Canadian Hockey League structure, even though they're American. It's like we call it, you know, the, like, you know, no one would say that it's a continental league, the NBA or MLB, even though they're a team from Canada in the league. What you're telling me is not only. Is Seattle better at being north than Canada? <laughs> We're also better at winning the Canadian Hockey League championship than Canada is? This year, as far as the uh, the WHL is concerned, yes. Pathetic Canada. Right, Pathetic. They, will, they will obviously be taking on those, those uh, southern Quebec ramparts won the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League championship. And it's the Peterborough Peets. Uh, also a Southern team, I'm quite sure, uh, won the Ontario Hockey League. Wow. So, we bring it on. We own you, Canada. Kamloops Seattle. Is, can confirm, Kamloops is north, Farther north. Of, of, of Seattle, as it is in British They're probably not complaining about being too hot right now. I don't know. I doubt the weather is that different. It's also pretty inland. I, I feel like it might be hotter. So... Go Thunderbirts. Uh, Really an impressive performance by this team. Uh, Congrats to Luis Castillo, who recorded his 1,000th career strikeout Monday. Pretty nice weather coming up here. In the win against the Ice. It's like into the mid-80s in Kamloops this week. Uh, Castillo now one of 47 active pitchers to reach the mark. And then lastly, a toast to the thing that did bring us sunshine on a cloudy Sunday afternoon. University of Washington, a six-run comeback in the top of the seventh to advance to the super regionals of the NCAA softball tournament, avoid losing at home in the regionals for a second and consecutive year. This was truly an incredible game where they were shut out. We'll talk more about this later, obviously during the UW section, but shut out for six innings had been shut out the previous game 
and then rallied to score seven runs in the top of the seventh and win it. And as far as you could tell, they had been leading all along. <laughs> yeah, I did tune in in the bottom of the seventh. I was just Is like, that similar to your hockey strategy? No, I was just playing baseball with the children. It was like, all right, I'm done doing this, and I turned it on. And I was just like, oh, nice win. 7-6. Great. I had no idea. I was, I was tense the darkness about we saw. the bottom of the seventh. Oh, it was still stressful. Uh, this was one of the greatest wins. This is what I'm saying. People don't believe me about seeing the darkness. People don't understand. You don't, don't remember a, don't you don't remember a comfortable win, 12-3 or whatever. This is what you remember. None of this shit matters. All that matters is making memories for doing this, right? I, I am at the forefront of understanding why things matter. <laughs> I like that you're going to be like an endowed professor of understanding why things exactly. matter. Exactly. And all this you're going to do movement. is say the darkness. The darkness. <laughs> It's all about the dark. It's about the darkness and artificial stakes. I'm pretty sure economists have discussed it. It's basically the opposite of the endowment effect here is, is what you're dealing with. Uh, I, I will say there was, a, there was one point, I think, during the bottom of the seventh of the commentators on ESPN, you mentioned like how fun this game was. And I was like, which part of this was fun? This entire thing was stressful and terrible. Oh, the comeback was we fun, win. though. It was fun. I mean, yes, I definitely like pumped my fist and yelled let's go to my empty room <laughs> when Bailey Klingler or not when Bailey Klingler scored the tying run on the bases clearing double in that comeback it sounds very thrilling however it happened it was I mean down to is, your final out it's maybe the greatest comeback in women's college world series history so they only apparently have this recorded since 2000 <laughs> Don't ask me why, but I mean, we only have played. You remember play when games. our parents were like, everything you put on the internet lives there forever. <laughs> Go to GeoCities, motherfucker. Try to find that. They don't have college World Series stats before the year 2000. Well, first off, Chad still thinks that. Exactly. Really, really. Everything you put on the internet on will the internet. never disappear. Uh, it was The stat was that six teams had ever come back from a six-run deficit at any point in an NCAA tournament softball game since the starting in the year 2000. It was something like six and five hundred and thirty-eight when you trailed by that much, and none of those comebacks had occurred as late as the seventh. Incredible. Angie Mentink explained those exact stats to Aaron Goldsmith on the Mariners broadcast earlier today. Yeah, I guess I I did hear that. Yes, and Aaron Goldsmith like really just was like, okay, kind of undersold it. No, like I I appreciated Angie Mentink explaining it, and then Aaron Goldsmith's like, okay, he's like, well, this Mariners A's game is important. Artificial stakes. That's what matters. <laughs> the will, artificial stakes of a professional baseball game. We will have Angie Mantic's other softball-related note later in the pod. Wow, okay. Yeah. But uh, with that, I think we're moving right ahead to your favorite segment. Are we? Yeah. This is way too fast. You would think. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariner's hot takes coming at you. Uh, I, I don't have hot takes today, th- this week. I, I asked for Rainier's hot takes. I don't really... T- the, the, I told you exactly what the Rainier's hot takes would be, is that they're, it's lovely. Great experience. It was a nice day at the ballpark. The Rainier's hot takes were about Rainier beer. I mean, that, that wasn't great. Uh, Matt Festa got the save, got to see an Italian pitching. But I wanted to talk about a field trip that I went on yesterday. <laughs> to a place called BizTown. This was a children's fifth grade field trip. And the thing about BizTown is, do you remember the game that 
our grandmother had anti-monopoly. Oh, yes, I do. We will never forget anti-monopoly in the game. There, You have to watch videos before being a parent volunteer when going to BizTown. And every single second of the the orientation videos that you watch, I was just like, there needs to be an anti-BizTown. <laughs> We're going to start that. Because there was not a mention of a union at one point. They were like, we need to teach kids everything they need to know about business. No, the word union did not come up. The CEO pay, so everybody has different types of pay in BizTown. CEO pay is like $9.33. And worker pay is like $8.45. <laughs> and I was I've like... i got some news I was like, Town. Luca, let me explain if this was in actual terms. The CEO pay would be like $50,000, and the worker pay would be like one cent to spend at BizTown if this is a reality. <laughs> uh, so the, there's, there's a paper there, the, uh, the business newspaper. Journal, yeah. And I enjoyed this particular made-up quote. I really didn't want this job. I actually wanted to be uh, is about the... The Fox 13 CEO is the pretend job here. I actually wanted to be cameraman or reporter, but I love my job and it gets me big bucks and I can spend it wherever I want. There we go. So anyway, there's a Mariners team store in BizTown. I, I see that. I flipped through the ad section here. Uh, Luke, Luca ended up with a, uh, a beard beanie for free from the fine folks at BizTown. Nice. It's a beanie and it has like a beard on it. But... It made me think about the Mariners and the offseason. As I was thinking, if there was a real-life CEO pay to everybody else pay, if Mariners baseball and the MLB free agency was the BizTown economy, you would have had to explain, as the kids are going out to spend their money, what they say in BizTown in the ads. We're living in a capitalist society here. They're like, you have to spend the money because if you that makes the economy much better, spending the money. And so I was like... Imagine if the CEO thing is real, where the CEOs have all of the money to spend, and you have nothing. You have a penny to spend in BizTown. What if in baseball, the Seattle Mariners tell you that you can spend no money in BizTown because all of your money is tied up for the fifth grade class that is going to be hitting BizTown three years from now, and the San Diego Padres are out there spending every single dollar in the entire world, and the Boston Red Sox are out there spending every single dollar in BizTown. That is what we're learning from the Mariners and from BizTown. Okay. So the Mariners are telling you the second that it's going to be... Uh, it is your a capitalist sons. society to the Mariners whenever they want you to buy their merchandise and whenever they want to promote to children. But the second that they actually have to spend that money, things are a lot more complicated. Well, one of the players they did spend some money on last offseason via trade I mean, I, th I suppose they ultimately save money in that trade because they sent out Jesse Winker, although I forget how much of his salary they uh, they they swallowed in, in the deal. But uh, it was Colton Wong, who has now been replaced by Jose Caballero as the primary second baseman after they were previously in a platoon with Caballero playing only against left-handed hitters. Wong did get the start on Tuesday night, but uh, that came after Caballero homered both Sunday and Monday taking firmer control of that job. Uh, Wong's current slugging percentage, a little over 200. Uh, it was 204 before his last at-bat. Second lowest among players with at least 100 plate appearances this season. You looking at the note here? Uh-huh. Ahead of only former, former Mariner Austin Nola, who is slugging 194 right now. So that's not gone great. 
Uh-huh. He actually had a pretty hard hit ball earlier. I was like, whoa, Colton Wong's going to have a double. And he didn't. <laughs> it would have been nice. Uh, some unfortunate injury news. Mariners GM Justin Hollander told reporters earlier this week that Easton McGee will likely need Tommy John surgery to repair elbow damage that has affected his recovery from the flexor strain he suffered following that dominant first major league start he had in Toronto for the Mariners. Uh, obviously, the starting rotation has stabilized with Bryce Miller uh, replacing him in the major leagues, but still uh, a huge bummer for Easton McGee that he comes up, has one amazing start, and subsequently is going to be out for more than a year with if he does undergo Tommy John surgery and would be the second Mariners starter this year to have Tommy John surgery really after wild. no one missed a start last year. Uh, other injury updates. You didn't see him. Apparently he wasn't playing today, but after three games in Everett, Dylan Moore now headed on a rehab assignment with Tacoma. Could return at some point during this 10-game homestand for the Mariners. That's where we worry. We'll see no. if they consider DFA and Colton Wong because he doesn't have the same positional versatility. But with a utility player coming back, you worry for our guy Sam Haggerty. Are you aware of what happened earlier today in the Mariners game? That he like was stealing second and uh, the ball got thrown into center field and he got around to third? No. Ty France got hit in his hand. X-rays were negative. X-rays were negative. Fortunately, yes. but the backup first baseman on this team might be Sam Haggerty. He is likely going to start there if if France is forced to miss some time. I'm not nervous for Haggerty in this place, but the spe- he he offers Dylan Moore offers a lot of value in a lot of different positions as well. But you can have two players like that. You can't ever have too many players like that. But it was good. You think they're going to DFA Colton Wong? I think that's the only other reasonable alternative. I do. Okay. Well, we'll see if they make that particular decision. It's uh, been a real long way down in a very short period of time for Colton Wong. All right, let's move on to the Sounders, who are continuing to struggle. Lost a pair of games last week. Uh, first on Wednesday at home, a 2-1 loss to Austin FC, who opened the scoring in the 36th minute, very much against the run of play. But Sounders couldn't find their way back in and conceded again in, in the 57th minute to MLS vet Giasi Zardes. Sounders did pull one back in the 79th with a great series of passes, ending up on the foot of Freddie Montero for a strong off-balance finish. Had a couple of good chances, but still suffered their second consecutive 2-1 home loss after a streak of home clean sheets to start the season. Then on Saturday at Vancouver, they lost 2-1. to one. Conceding on the edge of halftime when Alex Rodin was unable to defend Pedro Vite one-on-one in the box, allowing Vite's second goal of the season, gave up in the sec- second goal in the 58th minute on what was scored as a Stefan Fry own goal because the ball was apparently headed just outside the post before being deflected in by Fry's div- diving save attempt, uh, trying not to take any risks whether that ball was going to go wide or not. And... This one, unlike the two home losses the Sounders have suffered, not a fluky performance, not unlucky whatsoever. Uh, in those cases, the Sounders had the better of expected goals. In this case, they were sloppy, struggled to maintain possession, and perhaps lucky to only allow a pair of goals. Is Soccer Power Index had Vancouver with 2.6 shot-based expected goals, which is an enormous amount. Uh, Despite those two losses, Sounders still second on points in the West, but they've dropped to fourth in points per match. They'll get this midweek off before hosting the New York Red Bulls, who are 11th in the East with 16 points from 14 matches. Red Bulls did play in the U.S. Open Cup against Cincinnati earlier Tuesday, so uh, a more crowded schedule for them. Red Bulls have scored just 10 goals, tied for second fewest in MLS, which really means they'll score two against the Sounders at home. 
Uh, some good news, Christian Roland returned to partial training as he slowly ramps up activity after his concussion that has sidelined him now for an extended period of time. So is there any cause for concern here about the Sounders? Yeah. Okay. Cool. I mean... <laughs> Sounds good. I know if it's panic because their best goal scorer remains out of the lineup. Really I wouldn't panic about anything. <laughs> Always a good strategy. Yeah. Uh, Roldan, obviously they're missing him tremendously. And their depth has been kind of limited. Uh, they're playing without Obed Vargas in midfield because he's playing with the U.S. U-20 team in the U-20 World Cup. So, which we should maybe get into the Italy U-20 World Cup too. Okay. Uh, they they were, led us into that one? They were shockingly high in like the 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 seeding for the pots in that one. What do you the mean US shockingly high? In Italy were shockingly high. Well, they were in it all first off. Yeah, yeah, we're not used to that anymore. Uh, but I mean, the record's still very good. They're getting healthier. Is this just a short blip in a long season? Hopefully, I mean, we are used to, much more used to the Sounders starting slowly and picking up steam in the second half of the season than we are them coming out as hot as they did this year. I feel like there's been times where it's kind of vice versa, where they started hot and then faded. Not, not usually under, like, since Brian Schmetzer replaced Ziggy Schmidt midseason, that was a year where they started very slowly and came on. They have gen- tended to be a much better second-half team. Are we, We're not into the second half yet, though, are we? No. Not as far away from it as you might think in the MLS schedule, but they're, uh, I believe, 17 matches in now. Maybe 16. Oh, no, yeah, 16 matches. Uh, 15 matches in. That was... Some terrible math for me. I, I see the record as 7-3-2, and two, so I'm counting 12. <laughs> well, I definitely am missing, missing a game here. <laughs> okay. I don't know how many games I've added there. All right, suffice it to say, they're not close <laughs> to the second half yet. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have to delete all that. <laughs> Anytime you do bad math, you have to delete it. <laughs> You've got a reputation to uphold. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. I have no good explanation for it. <laughs> I was too distracted by looking up... Uh, Jossie Zardes. FIFA U20 World Cup. Because <laughs> we're into that now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Italy ranked second among teams from UEFA in the uh, U20 standings behind France. But US second overall somehow. I don't know how that happened. Notably, Italy just ahead of England. So Okay. That means great things for the future. Uh, won their first match uh, 3-2 over Brazil. What? Yeah. So there you go. In, it's happening in the World Cup? U-20 World Cup, yeah. I know. Yeah. I, you think they just snuck by the World Cup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Italy beat Brazil in the World Cup, and I just didn't notice. <laughs> yeah, you're one of them. The idea of an Italian team scoring three goals in the World Cup is kind of remarkable. Yeah, this is wild. Uh, Do you think as they get to the older ranks, the coaches start coaching the scoring out of the Italian players? Oh, for sure. Or is there a new generation of Italians coming up? For sure, they kind of they coach it out. Who scored those three goals? Are they names that we would have heard of? Uh, Matteo Prati had the first goal. Okay. I mean, I he know plays those He in Serie Okay. Uh, and Cesare Casade signed the other one. He plays in the uh, the championship on loan from Chelsea. Okay. So, presumably a prom- quite a promising player, one would think. One of the most promising Italian talents of his generation. The, of his generation? According to Wikipedia. Which there we go. Very reliable. Well, I now love him. <laughs> <laughs> 
I still don't know his, his name is what? <laughs> Cesare Cassidy. Cesare? Cesare. We, we have not had a good Cesare in a while, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. No, this is important. This is oh, this is huge. Nice. I might even name a child after him. As you continue having ten to fifteen children. Uh, well, it turns out I love that that soccer player I just heard of. A lot <laughs> good, more than any Sounders. Good to know. Could care less about any of these Sounders. Uh, but it's too many, too few Italians on the Sounders. I mean, you know, we've noticed that the uh, they're slumping right now because of that. Have they ever had an Italian? I can't really think of any off the top of my head. Hmm. Yeah. That's why they've only won two MLS Cups. Would <laughs> <laughs> have like seven or <laughs> It would have been a lot more. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's only been oh, two weeks of downplay, something like that. Yes. Really, one victory. You know, if they beat Cincinnati, or Red Bulls, sorry. If they beat Red Bulls, it's kind of dust in the wind. Yes, at this point in the season. Most important thing is to get healthy. Uh, OL Rain. Or to see the darkness. <laughs> okay, well, we're seeing a little darkness in the season this year. I don't know if the darkness in the season is as important as <laughs> within an individual game. Uh, the OL Rain saw some darkness The darkness within the season is all that matters. Literally the 1995 season. Most important season in Mariners history. If they'd been just like, like comfortably uh, in... If they'd won the division... Comfortably the entire time, they'd won the first round game. Like if you take out the the one game play-in, if if they'd won the first series against the Yankees, comfortably like the or whatever. Darkness within the '95 ALDS is a different thing than the darkness within the regular season. But it you're was not like hey, it would have been way better if the 2013 Seahawks had started like 0-4 and then won 12 in a row. I mean, it probably would have. No, I don't know. They had their darkness. Did they really? The NFC Championship game. You you don't remember that game? You're talking about the one against Green Bay? No, the Seahawks Niners game. There, there was, was not that much darkness. Colin Kaepernick there was tension. Was, there was tension. I mean, they were behind for three quarters in that game, weren't they? All right, all right, I'll accept it. And when Colin Kaepernick was marching the ball down the field, I I saw some darkness. Yeah, I don't okay. know what you we, saw. We saw the darkness there. Is is, we, is uh, everyone who has gone through and listened to all the individual Pelton casts, including the uh, special episodes, would know uh, <laughs> you were you were a little more uh, you were having a flu game that night as well. <laughs> yeah, flu game. <laughs> you had been at the Raiders game earlier, apparently. <laughs> Recorded in the back of my Lumina. Uh, oh, good rest times. in peace. I mean, we're coming up on the 10th anniversary of the first Pelton cast. It's going to be this fall. Wow. And you don't want to do a live show in <laughs> celebration of it. Think about that. Oh, Lord. Although technically, we we didn't record until after week one of the Seahawks season. That's true. I, I believe that year. And technically, we took like two years off. That doesn't matter. It's still the 10th anniversary. Okay. Well, right. oh, well I, I like those years when we weren't talking to each other. <laughs> The lost Felton cast years. Well, Rain saw some darkness on Sunday as they suffered their worst loss of the season in front of a great crowd of 8,000-plus at Lumen Field, giving up a season-high four goals to Gotham FC. Gotham struck twice in the first 12 minutes, added a third before halftime, and made it 4 nothing in the 73rd minute before the Rain added a late Jordan Heidemann goal to produce the 4-1 final. Uh, with that, the loss dropped the Rain all the way down to fifth in the NWSL standings. 
This weekend, they'll host Angel City FC, a team the Reign have dominated during their two years of existence. Not, not you know, not as heated a rival as the San Diego Web, but uh, Angel City tied for ninth in the standings despite a strong rookie season from number one pick Alyssa Thompson, who has three goals already at age 18 after foregoing her senior season of high school to play in the NWSL. Wow. Too busy even to play in the U20 World Cup. That's awesome. I don't know when the schedule is for that. Are we going to talk about these beers at any point? All right. Well, we've got some darkness coming up here, so we might as well drink these beers. (laughs) Got a lot of darkness coming up. Oh, boy. Sometimes the darkness is good for resetting an organization. (laughs) I feel like this beer might have been up there. It was pretty good, actually. It's very solid, yeah. It's really hard to judge beers. Yeah. What do we what do we have next on the docket? We have the Rubens Crikey IPA. There we go. Which is the first ever American IPA Rubens brewed. This is still our most popular beer, they say. Crikey has a hot profile led by notes of citrus, pine, and tropical fruit with a malt backbone, providing balance to every sip. The malts are caramel, Munich, pale, and wheat. The hops, Citra, Amarillo, Simcoe, Centennial, Mosaic, and Azaka. I heard the term this weekend for, you know, the term sommelier? Yeah. That there's a term for a person who's a sommelier of beer. Okay. Are you familiar with this? I'm not familiar with this term. It was somehow the most pretentious thing I'd ever heard in my entire life. (laughs) Wait, was this during your conversation on Friday night? No, this was on Saturday, actually. It's uh, Wikipedia just says beer sommelier. Uh, Cicerone. Cicerone. Yeah, also known as a Cicerone in the United States. Huh. And I just... How I can spell? Is it like C-I-C-E-R-O-N-E. Is that an Italian term, potentially? It's. I mean, it's based upon Cicero. Okay. Uh, and I can just feel the beard on somebody's neck when I hear it. <laughs> we both have beards. Not deep on the neck. Uh, it's, it's true. We do not have neck beards. Right? You could just feel that they wanted to write a novel at some point. When you read that, for some reason, I'm okay with the term sommelier. They definitely have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the call is coming from within the house. I I also wanted to mention, um, I not a close relationship, but there's some uh, terrible and hopefully uplifting news of Alex Kidd from the Don't Drink Beer uh, social media page and podcast. Um uh, he ended up being diagnosed with cancer unexpectedly. Uh, has a very, very successful GoFundMe that's happening. But I ended up working with them on their <clears throat> podcast booking for a couple of years and was really shocked to see that news. So hopefully yeah. he's doing well in recovery. Certainly best wishes. Uh, anyway, I saw this term, Cicero. <laughs> I heard this term and I was just like, I. This is a bridge too far. This is a bridge too far. I was like, can we just can we just drink the beer? <laughs> like, just stop. Because you were saying all those notes, and I was like, I love that they're just like going for every direction. It's piney and it's fruity and it's every. And I was just like, I I am sure that that's the case. I mean, there are a lot of websites, uh, brewery websites that have like beer pairings for what food it should go for, which is kind of the sommelier aspect of it to a degree, right? I don't know that that concept is completely foreign within the beer world. I think those are also hilarious, though. They usually are hilarious, like objectively hilarious, like how specific the things are yes. to drink it with. Yes. <laughs> Pairs well with. We will be sure to note those if we get those. <laughs> the pa- what to pair well with? You're just like, so a cheeseburger? <laughs> <laughs> Pizza? Yeah, what are Chicken? you trying to tell me here? 
<laughs> Taco time? Oh, we've done wine pairings. We've never done beer pairings for taco time. We need to find a Cicerone. A Cicerone for taco time. I, I did hear about a person who has a Cicerone. And I like already the person I was just like, mm, I'm not sure about this person. And then I heard that they were being described as a, that they they were a, they told somebody that they were a Cicerone. And I was like, I bet they did. <laughs> The number one quality of a Cicerone is telling people that they're a Cicerone. Oh, professional or just like amateur? Am- amateur. Okay. They're an amateur. But I think they've been diagnosed by whatever, whoever makes things. Diagnosed? <laughs> diagnosed. That's probably the wrong word right now. Uh, definitely the wrong they've word. They've been anointed or by whomever makes people Cicerones. Uh-huh. Uh, I was trying to think, because you have to like pass a test to become a small yay, correct? I assume that there's a similar thing for Sector beer. Ball has so many nuts. I can I'm already. Just, I, I, get, I, I can hear the email that he's crafting right now in response to this. I don't think being a sommelier is pretentious. No. I think that is a like a totally reasonable thing to do, right? Or to be. I don't think it's because we're critical of sommeliers. I think it's our our ignorance of the concept. But I am critical of cicerones. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, the listener. None of the listener is is cicerone. All right. Well, the darkness. I, I would love to hear a refutation. Yeah. <laughs> Please come on the pod if so. As I said earlier, we're still looking for our Jordan McKay of of IPAs. Well, the darkness you were referring to, the Seattle Storm season opener, the largest loss in franchise history to the Las Vegas Aces on Saturday by forty-one points, also the largest margin of victory ever in an opening game in the WNBA. Uh. Joel Lloyd started this one 0 of 8. She did rebound to finish with 22 points, but was the only Storm player to score more than 8. Uh, Noel Quinn used just about everybody on her roster, with only rookie second-round pick Dulce and Fankham Mengiadu not seeing action before garbage time, but uh, could not find the right combination to score or slow down the Aces. He built a uh, 15 <laughs> It's like point. the biggest understatement of all time. Couldn't find the right combination to score. Be gentle. In a 40-point loss. I mean, it wasn't really quite as bad as the final You said that, but I there was like a rerun of it that came on okay, or whatever, and they were down 30 with like eight minutes left. Yeah, or it something. wasn't good. I was like, oh, wow. You made it seem like it was like 12, and then it out of nowhere I, became 40. I mean, it doesn't become 40 that way, but it was... They were down 15 at halftime. They were down 26 after three quarters, but it was 20. It was also 26 with 5:59 left to play. Then Las Vegas finished on a 20 to five run over the final 401. The storm had the end of the bench in there. Kelsey Plover <clears throat> is still in there for the Aces. What the hell? So part of the explanation for this is these they games, wanted to really rub it in. <laughs> I, I I don't know that there wasn't. A, I definitely wasn't. But they won last year. <laughs> they wanted to want. Well, so Becky Hammond last week, I think, was this after we recorded the pod? I can't, can't remember if this had happened before we had recorded or not, uh, was suspended by the WNBA for the first two games of the season uh, for violating uh, the league's league and team respect in the workplace policies in regards to her comments to Dierica Hamby about her pregnancy. So I, I think that that suspension was a motivating factor for the Aces, but also... What? You, it was the WNBA. It's the part of the WNBA Commissioners Cup, and one of the tiebreakers there is your point differential. So it actually matters that you kind of got to keep your foot on the gas a little bit for those games. So just everything the WNBA does is wrong. I'm just like the amount of things that the, the WNBA has had it fucking teed 
up for them to be a successful league, and they are really struggling with it. I, I don't know that. I don't know that that's the case. But the idea that they're like, yeah, we want more forty-point blowouts, like that's not good for anybody. But I love to imagine the people making the schedule, right, going into the year, being like. Conference, I, I'm going to even say this right, not even say Western Conference. They're going to say it's a conference semifinal rematch. They're like, wow, what a great game, and not know anything else that happened. <laughs> like, and then just show oh, up man. and be like, what is going <laughs> What happened? I mean, I, uh, we thought this was going to be a huge game. I did hear that there were a lot of comments on like when the Storm announced their roster to open the season. People were like, where are Super and Brianna Stewart? By who? <laughs> like people commenting on, on social media. You know, Maybe they didn't have it as teed up as I thought they did. <laughs> <laughs> Social media still hasn't learned. Apparently they haven't gotten the word that Silver retired and Brianna Stewart signed with the Liberty. It's like when you worked with the Pacers and they just heard about Firefox. <laughs> I don't remember that one. Everybody there was like, so I'd pull up Internet Explorer and then <laughs> wait 10 minutes. This was like 2008 or something. They were like, so you can access the Internet faster than that? <laughs> Anyway, that that's the general public with this with the storm roster. You know, it's never not everyone is paying as close attention to the WNB offseason as we are here on the Felton cast. I guess so. This is like pretty big news. <laughs> I think I got angry. a push notification. I, I wrote a whole story about Super It's retirement. It was pretty prominent on ESPN.com. Sue Bird was one of the be- like literally yeah. a whole year of <laughs> Sue Bird retiring. I'm well aware. They chanted in New York. Every all of this was happening very publicly. Uh, so the Storm will get nearly a week off before hosting the Dallas Wings on Friday uh, in a matchup that should be easier than than Las Vegas, who looked very much in championship form with the additions of Candace Parker and our old friend Alicia Clark. Uh, next Tuesday, however, I think we will pod before this because of this game happening on Tuesday. The New York Liberty and Brianna Stewart come to town. Oh, God. Two of the first three games they scheduled against the Aces and Liberty. What did the Storm do to deserve this? Just being like the signature franchise of the WMA for 20 years wasn't enough. Two decades of excellence. In fact, I should be cheering for this because I will say that the storm wronged me personally. But <laughs> not, not this. even that, it's a new ownership group, yeah. right? Well, no, it's not a different ownership group from when you were there. It's a new executive group. Sure. Uh, Nobody from the current ownership group personally wronged me, right? That is That is correct. So... I'm going to stand on the side of the storm here. Uh, so they, we, must, they should save those ratings for later in the year. The Liberty. Uh, yeah, the Stewie returning to see. I was ratings. kind of shocked when I like I objective <clears throat> like I somehow knew the schedule, but I hadn't really processed it. You're until one of the people recently <laughs> that the Liberty <laughs> the, were coming to town. The schedule had been out for a long time, but you just realized or <laughs> I just realized, you just realized Sue Bird retired. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> she she walked into practice the other day at the end. And I was like, shouldn't you be out then? <laughs> uh, naturally, Percy Allen asked, like, you sure you want to stay retired? And she was like, could, yeah. Could not be any more. Why would, what fucking cognitive perspective would you have to have when Brianna Stewart left and the team got their ass kicked by 40 points to be like, well, this oh, was prior to that game. Sue Bird should come back. Uh, Sue Bird is happily enjoying retirement. She, she I think, is very I think happily. After she, that game, she did sit through this game. Yeah, but deep down, we all know what's up. We all we all know who we are deep on the inside. 
there was a part of her that was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's like, yes, you want to leave everything in a good place, but you also kind of want to make sure that people know how important you are. She was like, yeah, yeah, I had a whole year of retirement parties, but there's, I guarantee you there's something that the storm did that wronged Sue Bird in some way along the way, and she thought about it. <laughs> I don't think so. I've been there. <laughs> she was courtside, getting the largest evasion of the day. But the Vera Project, something doesn't go right, and I'm like, hmm. Ten years later. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, okay. Again, you left of your own volition. <laughs> yeah. uh, the storm. Something doesn't happen right with the storm. Brianna Stewart leaves, and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> if you had a different receptionist, maybe. <laughs> you Things might have gone differently, I guess. Definitely still be there. Uh, you have Sloot and Stewie, but, you know, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> so storm-restricted free agent Gabby Williams is eligible to play in the WNBA this season, as we've been following, because she had her contract suspended by her French club, Asvel, before the prioritization deadline. Uh, that happened because of the fact that she's still dealing with the after effects of the second concussion in the last nine months she's suffered. Uh, also, Gabby Williams may play for the French national team in Eurobasket next month. As a result, her agent, Lizzie Kagawa-Colas, told ESPN's M.A. Vopel over the weekend that she has not yet made a decision on whether to play in the WNBA this year. So we'll see whether we see her with the storm. If not, they would maintain her rights as a restricted free agent into next offseason. I don't. That was a little convoluted. Well, she can play in the league this year, but she might not. But what what is the contract? Why was the contract suspended? Was it suspended because of the injury? Or would that was that to allow her to play in the WNBA? Both. But like if she had just been playing normally, I don't think she would have had her contract suspended in all likelihood. She would have just played in the rest of the games because her team won the championship. And the WNBA would have not let her come back. Correct, because then she would have been playing past the start of the WNBA regular season. So, Ultimately, it's all punitive, though. Like, everybody did what the WNBA wanted them to do. Yeah. So, good for them. I guess slow clap. We'll see next year when the deadline is not the start of the regular season, but May 1st is when players need to complete their overseas duty. And if you're under contract, the other reason that this could happen is because she was a free agent, she just had to be done with her contract. If you're under contract to a WNBA team, you had to be in your team's market by the start of the regular season. How are they trying? Are there trackers on these players? I, I don't in think your team's that, market. Where do, she's in Sammamish. Like, is that okay? Sammamish would be fine. Yes, <laughs> is Vancouver, counts. BC okay? How big is the market? I, I don't know. I don't know whether Vancouver, BC in the market. Storm territory. Like, it's like Taco Time Northwest. There's strict boundaries. Can, Canadian native Kia Nurse trying to get the Storm to become Canada's team, get those fans come down here from British Columbia, but maybe not this season. No relation to Nick Nurse, right? <laughs> No, she is definitely not in a relation to Nick Nurse. Okay. Her, her brother plays for the Edmonton Oilers, Darnell Nurse. Oh. And uh, I'm guessing she's black, and that's why he said there's definitely no relation to Nick Nurse. Is, <laughs> yes. Put that together. Uh, who did the Storm play next? Dallas. Dallas? We, that was in the rundown. Okay. You said that. You were, you were too busy making super jokes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You don't want to vote me for MVP. Katie got more votes. Okay. Uh, Are they going going to be the worst team in the WNBA this year? The Indiana Fever 
are also a strong contender for that. Also, we're on the wrong end of Brianna Stewart's 45-point game, uh, career-high 45 points in 30 minutes on Sunday in her second game for the Liberty. How desperate. The Indiana, Iowa, Indiana, pretty close states, right? Yes. How desperately do the Fever want Caitlin Clark? I'm sure quite desperately. Whether Caitlin Clark is as desperate to go play for the Indiana Fever is a different question. Irrelevant, right? No, it's not, because she can decide to go back for another year. Oh, so the WNBA lottery is going to happen before she has to make the decision. Usually it's the start of the college regular season, like, you know, early November. So she'll know, basically, what team she's going to play for. She will know, yeah. And so is there any intel on that, or you just feel like... Going and going play going to play basketball in Indiana is not exciting to her. She has said that it's fifty fifty whether she goes comes back for her fifth year. But based upon what 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 about the fever? If the storm get the number one pick in the draft, is Caitlin Clark coming out? I think that there's a much better chance of that. Why? The store you just mentioned it. The store have been a marquee franchise in the WNBA <laughs> for two decades. They're building their own practice facility. The Fever are one of the lowest spending teams in the league historically. Okay, uh, do not have a strong, passionate fan base. Is is a result of that? Is the storm due in Seattle? I do feel like there's pretty constantly there is a gravitational pull to professional sports, to getting in and starting the thing. I mean, that's one of the things is a lot of people... First off, there's like this misleading idea. We're spending a long time on the Storm for a team that lost their opener. It's the only uh, thing we have to talk points. about. <clears throat> this is the only interesting thing we have to talk about. You have a softball. Okay, sure. But hey, like, it's kind of baseball. All right. Uh, so there's this like... I, this, re- I very much enjoy talking about the Storm for some reason. There's I this, feel like it's all very conceptual. I think that's why I like talking about the Storm. Because everything... It's so non-matter-of-fact... You know what I mean? A lot of like baseball is just like this happened. You're like, yeah, okay. There's no like sociological aspects to what we're talking about when Ty France got hit in the wrist (laughs) or something. But the storm is just like that's it's all cultural. I suppose that's reasonable. I I think there are some sociological aspects to Ty France getting hit in the wrist, but (laughs) we don't need to go into those today. Uh, What what was the question again? I forget where we were. Wait, what did you ask me? Oh wait, I just I had remembered it. <laughs> but <clears throat> what a great podcast! <laughs> Thank God you could listen to one of these for every day of the year. <laughs> the, we were talking about Caitlin Clark playing for the Fever, and to me, I was saying there's a gravitational pull. Oh, to the WNBA. yes. So there's this like this is kind of dumb narrative out there on social media now that basically players are picky a pay cut to go to the WNBA. Because their NIL earnings are more than their WNBA salary, which is true on some surface level. That Caitlin Clark is almost undoubtedly making more in NIL than she would make in salary in the WNBA next year. But the thing about NIL is most of it is just sponsorship deals. And those continue over into when you're a pro. It's not like all of a sudden the shoe companies are going to be like, whoa, Caitlin Clark, you're a professional. We have no interest in you now. Like if you're a... A marginal WNBA player who happens to be in a market where college, women's college basketball is really important and your NIL appeal is based largely on that market, then yes, you might make more in Drew Timmy. The Drew Timmy, yes. Yeah. But Caitlin Clark is still going to make a lot more in the WNBA, all things considered. Caitlin and the other not, aspect not of it. Fringe second round draft pick is going to obviously be on the Celtics type player. Yes. You know? 
<laughs> I don't think the Celtics had like Luke Cornett. Uh, the other element of it is, and this is more true in the NBA than the W, just given the scale of it, but the sooner you get in the league, the sooner you get out of your rookie contract and can make the max. So, like, Sabrina Ionescu just agreed to her extension, which is a substantial pay rate. I also think making. the money in the WNBA is about to skyrocket. I think we are so close to seeing The money. new TV deal is 2026. New CBA is a year or two behind that. And then it will... It's just going to be, like... Scale. It, it is... The amount that I'm seeing about the WNBA, like, on Twitter in general, that I'm aware of what's going on, it's just way higher than it was a decade ago. You know, culturally, it's a way more important sport than Without it was. Question. And there's superstars now. I still, I, I don't know if I think the like WNBA superstars of the past were as important as they are now. Not culturally, I don't think. No. And and the honestly, like a lot of those players, like Lisa Leslie played her entire career for the Sparks. Sparks. Diana Taurasi played her entire career for the Mercury. So far, so far, still playing. Wow. Oh yeah. Uh, Still getting technicals. The Brianna Stewart moving to New York, as bad as it was for the Storm, was the best thing that could have ever happened to the league. Uh, it certainly is going to, you know, New York had been a down franchise for a period of time, despite being one of the original franchises in the largest media market in the league, have never won the championship. I'm not even talking about that, though. It's about the transactions. Yeah, no, for sure. It's the larger, it's the cultural impact. Being able to have a conversation about it, right? People are talking about where James Harden's going to end up next year. I, I watched James Harden play basketball. I could care less about watching James Harden play basketball. It's not but that fun. But you love speculating about but whether I, he goes I back really, to the Rockets. I want to hear other people talk about where James Harden is going to play basketball. And that's exactly, like, that's what's happening with the WNBA. But... The thing about Caitlin Clark is, I feel like what's going to happen, and this is true for the Indiana Fever, whether she knows it or not, she just doesn't have to declare until after the season. There is no way that the next season can be as exciting for Caitlin Clark as this last one. There's something about, it's not a sophomore slump necessarily, it's like the, the amount that people were talking about Caitlin Clark her being invited to the fucking White House even though they lost, like, that shit is not going to happen year over year. And even if she is amazing, there's still a really long college basketball season that ultimately no one cares about. So she right now is riding really high. And the long tail of the, like, women's college basketball season that's going to happen and she's going to be in Iowa is going to be not brutal, but it's going ah. to take its toll on her, and she's going to be like, I could be playing professional basketball right now, not sitting in fucking Iowa at a college. I mean, I, I think, look, pursuing a championship would be a big draw if she doesn't win it next year. And Iowa at this point has not been able to replace their post player, Monica Sinano, who did not stick in the league, was that kind of third round I mean, they pick were, who didn't look, make What it. seed were they? There were two. Okay. They but were, like the chances of them winning the. NCAA tournament are very low and having another exciting run especially that shit doesn't happen back to back LSU is definitely the aces of the liberty of the they're NCAA just, oh aren't they getting transfers like crazy they added Haley Van Lith notably yeah they're retooling uh, I believe did they end up also getting an Indy Samoro yeah from DePaul so yeah. like you're like asking that like you're asking me <laughs> I'd actually heard about one of the transfers well Haley Van Lith the cashmere native 
is quite famous on social Casimir media. Washington? Yeah. Whoa! Did you miss this whole storyline? She played here against Caitlyn in the regional final. Still. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, there cannot, it cannot... Did, I resisted the urge to ask her any questions in media availability about either applets. Yeah, I was going to say, how many applets and cutlets questions did you have? <laughs> I should have done that in the locker room at some point. It would have been... I, I don't know. I don't know how it would have gone over. Uh, but you understand what I'm saying, that yes. she, she's kind of reached the peak of her fame in college. And in the WNBA, the exposure is significantly higher. All right. Well, let's talk about UW sports. Let's start with baseball. Hello. The Huskies were unable to extend their winning streak beyond the oh. opening game of their season-ending three-game series against Cal at home. That 12-1 to blowout was their seventh win in a row, but UW dropped the final two games of the series, 12-7-16-11. Wow. Very high scoring. <laughs> Wind was blowing out at Husky Ballpark. Uh, the good news is UW still finished third in the Pac-12 at 17-12, and 12, heading into the Pac-12 baseball tournament this week in Scottsdale. Under a new format, the top nine teams will advance for pool play with three brackets of three teams each. The winners of all of those and the top runner-up will advance to the semifinals. The Huskies are the highest seed in a pool with number four USC and this is number no, seven in the Pac-12. Number four UCLA. in the Pac-12. Correct. Okay. They'll face the Bruins Wednesday at 2.30 p.m., Trojans at the same time on Thursday, with the semifinals on Friday and the championship game on Saturday night. And a lot riding on this for the Huskies. Currently the, among the first four out what? in the College Sports Madness projection. Third in the Pac-12 is not good enough to be in. I mean, I don't know. It's interesting because I, I, they, they played pretty well in non-conference play, but maybe they didn't play the same schedule or have the same success of some of the other Pac-12 teams that are in there despite having worse conference records. There's other Pac-12 teams who are behind them. Well, like Oregon was in there. Still in after we swept them? Oregon was in there. I don't know if they still are. <clears throat> I'm also a little skeptical about the bracketology that's happening here. I don't know. Maybe they aren't. In the f Wait, okay. Hold on. Oh, I was I looking at an old one somehow? Oh, I was looking at an old one. You have is it? There we go. Oh, wow. <clears throat> I'm looking at this. I'm like, where is I trust blindly in college sports madness. The college sports madness projections. <laughs> they are projected currently in the Fayetteville Regional with Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Loyola Marymount. Oh, boy. Do not, not want to play Oklahoma. What seed are they? That's, that's based. Uh, Arkansas was the three. They don't have only the. It's like softball, only the 16 teams are seeded. Okay. But they. I don't really understand how the softball. You just tell me whatever. You're just like, they moved to this thing, and I'm like, wow, great. <laughs> uh, they do. You're the only person who can understand these complicated brackets. It's like how I have to read the instructions anytime we play a board game and explain them to the entire group. It's funny because when if there's a board game that I'm playing with other people, like I, I'm, I'm not necessarily reading the instructions, but like. Yeah, kind of, but also like understand how to wow, play any Dallas game. Dallas Baptist is a, is a projected 16 seed. I I didn't even know the Dallas Baptist was a Division One school. <sighs> it doesn't surprise me, given the sport. <laughs> <laughs> Just being honest. Uh, so if they finish first in pool play, then get eliminated after, we think they're probably in. 
Now that now that we know that they have been projected in the bracket right now, now that they're in, we're feeling confident. Yeah, we're feeling dramatically better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think if they advance to the semifinals, they should be in good shape because all of the teams that would reach the semifinals would be likely to make it. USC is also projected in the tournament right now as well. Okay, so it wouldn't even be a terrible thing if they lost to USC and finished second in this group. I think it would be losing to you. If you went 0-2, then you'd put yourself in big jeopardy. So we will continue to monitor How that. do they do the seeding? Is it is it based upon a run differential? It's a three-team pool, and uh, every team could beat every other team. That is a great question. The answer is the tiebreaker, then, is your finish in the regular season standing. Oh, so that is good. That yes. That is good for the Huskers. That is a really good way to, to decide that. You're, you're going to suggest that to the WNBA for the <laughs> Commissioner's Cup? <laughs> I know Commissioner's Cup I'm going to suggest They not have a Commissioner's Cup I just Oh I've got bad news for you What? There's more Commissioner's Cups Coming to the NBA as well Not, not less Cups Is this a little tournament? Yeah. Or is it just But is it a separate tournament? So is in the WNBA The teams will qualify Based on regular season results Against teams in their division Home and away The difference is Whereas the WNBA Only plays a single additional game in the Commissioner's Cup final, the NBA, they will be an eight-team tournament uh, among the the six division winners and the top two wild cards. I'm more okay with that. But there I, is I, actually I some tournament format to want it. want to have some real talk with the powers that be. I understand the profits. I get it. <laughs> I really do. We, we've already talked about capitalism on this pod. I, I know. I really understand the, the need for more profit. Look, it's a multi-billion dollar industry you just need more you always have to have more you have to feed your tv partners i mean the good news is in this industry the players are guaranteed a percentage of the revenue no one cares <laughs> we'll see i will i can tell you that no one cares in the WNBA. people care about the commissioner's cup final no they don't they, i'm so sorry uh, no one well, cares i will always treasure the commissioner's cup. You know, people are talking about with Brianna Stewart coming back, the two championships, the storm one with Brianna Stewart. People aren't talking about the commissioner's <laughs> cup. <laughs> uh, so I'm not going to suggest anything in the WNBA for how they do that, but for the PAC 12 with seeding into the semifinals of pool play of the, the PAC 12 baseball tournament, which I just learned was a thing. Yeah. And now feel very strongly about <laughs> because UW is three and USC is number four. That is a great way to do the seeding. So they have they have kind Five of games. a couple they have a couple different ways to get there, which is they can either win two games, correct, or they can win one game and have everybody else win one game and then get there by default. The two sweetest words in the English language. That's the second consecutive pot I've made that joke. All right, UW softball. Let's talk a little bit about how they got there to that thrilling finish uh, against. Uh, McNeese on on Sunday. On Friday, the Huskies run-ruled Northern Colorado 10-2 after six innings. Bailey Klingler had a homer and a double, driving in three runs, and Lindsey Lopez went the distance with eight strikeouts. Then Saturday against McNeese, which we correctly diagnosed, they were the real power. Yeah, no, we knew. We knew it was Minnesota, they beat three times, or two times, I think two times. We correctly diagnosed. 
<laughs> a lot of diagnosing on this call. Uh, Saturday, the Huskies rolled out Rui Malin, who held the Cowboys scoreless through six innings before settling for a one-run outing as UW won 3-1 with Jalen Olchin powering the offense with a 3-for-3 game, including a solo home run to open the scoring. Later Saturday, McNeese outlasted Minnesota 1-0 to advance to Sunday's final, where the, the format in college softball, it's a double elimination, so McNeese, by having already lost, they need to win twice. UW only needs to win once. Uh, in the first game, the Cowboys repeated that one nothing score wild. in a must-win game with Whitney Tate scattering eight hits and getting Bailey Klingler out with the bases loaded to finish the game. Solo homer by Kareen Poncho gave Tate all the run support necessary to force that winner-take-all game a half hour later. This time, the Huskies again put Malin on the mound and McNeese had far more success against her, hitting her hard. Uh, it took the Huskies until she gave him four runs. It took the Huskies until the seventh inning to get to Cowboys starter Ashley Vallejo, by which point they'd gone 13 innings scoreless on Sunday before the floodgates opened in a late drizzle. Yudov had six hits, scored seven runs in the seventh inning with a bases clearing Sammy Reynolds double tying the game, and Madison Husky doubling Reynolds home to take the lead which Brooke Nelson made hold up in the bottom half of the inning, getting the win. It was, as we mentioned, the largest seventh inning comeback in the NCAA tournament since at least 2000. So meanwhile, the Huskies managed to narrowly avoid the McNeese upset, but upsets were hitting the their part of the eventual College World Series bracket hard. Number two UCLA lost their first two games mm. and went home on Saturday. Goodbye, UCLA. Losing to San Diego State, the real Pac-12 team. Exactly. They realize that the Pac-12 is a softball school and they're gone. <laughs> uh, number 10, Conference. LSU. Also eliminated at home in the regionals. Louisiana knocked off LSU and the Raging Cajuns are headed to Seattle for a best of three super regionals this weekend. It's really a lot of Louisiana representation for the Huskies. That is wild. Bracket. You heard that Sean Langlier's from the A's. It's, it's in here. Okay, okay. It's okay. in here. Uh, it is the eighth Super Regional appearance for Louisiana, their last coming in 2016. I got to say that was a lot more than I expected. Louisiana Lafayette. Correct. Okay. You may recall them as Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah. Now they just go by If like you're Louisiana. old school, they're Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, back when they played in the NCAA tournament in late 2000s in the men's basketball tournament. I think, well, uh, Seattle Times reporter Jada Evans' dad was coaching the team. Jesse Evans. Uh, I, I know them as if you're playing uh, NCAA football and you want to have a really easy schedule, you just schedule Louisiana Lafayette on there. So that's that's the SEC model? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe like three or four times. I, no, the SEC model is, uh, what do they call it? Just Division Three East. Or whatever. Yes, I I had a joke <laughs> workshopping about how these the Mariners should adopt that model and just play the A's, schedule the A's more times. <laughs> uh, so their Sunday sweep of LSU brought Louisiana to eight and twelve this season against Power Five competition. Also notably, they beat McNeese all three times they wow. played head to head: once at home, once on the road, and once at a neutral site. Okay, that's a true sweep. <laughs> A, a troubling sign, given the, how McNeese dealt with the Huskies. Uh, they slugged for a combined 16 runs in their two wins over LSU Sunday. Have three hitters with double-digit home runs, including Alexa Langoliers' sister, 
of Ace Catcher. Shaq. Hopefully he did not teach her about how to win. Um, I still I find it hard to be nervous about this. You gotta have appropriate fear. Appropriate fear is fine. But this is ultimately a good situation for the Huskies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all things considered. Like, I just gave you the record against Power 5 competition. You know who was better against Power 5 competition? Who? LSU. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, also UW. Also a team that was better against Power 5 competition. And so they would have either played LSU or UCLA? So UCLA is the team that if you win this weekend and reach the College World Series, that's who they would UCLA play. would have been your opponent wow. in the first game in the College World Series. Now, the team that now is hosting the Super Regionals is favored to get that spot. Unfortunately, is UW nemesis Utah. Oh, fuck Utah. Utah took two of three They're in Seattle during the regular season. It's, it's great. You know, I don't know what that has to do with anything. It, it'll be really nice for them to be in the Big 12. I appreciate it. We brought them up. You know, uh, they weren't born hustlers. We were birthing them. But, like, the... I, I think they were doing some hustling in the Mountain West. <laughs> I don't know if you recall, and they had a coach named Urban Meyer. <laughs> For a time. Yeah, I mean, it was not like they were unsuccessful under Kyle Whittingham in the Mountain West. <laughs> they used it to leverage it into an offer to the Pac-12, and then it's going to be great when they're in the Big 12. But softball-wise... I'm again just a lot of appropriate fear, but I'd still rather play Utah than UCLA if you get to yes, the College World Series. That's what I'm talking about. And I'd still rather play Louisiana than uh, than LSU. Okay. So, uh, when are these games? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Need to, the Huskies need to win two out of three. Correct. They're all against Louisiana. Yes. In the in unlike the regionals where you have. The, Four teams in the double elimination format. It, it is still a double elimination format, but it's just two teams. And these are in Seattle. Yes. It was very strange seeing... Which it's been a while since they hosted a Super Regional. I'm not sure what the last time was that they have. Well, UW was the road team in the game on... The second game against McNeese on Sunday. Yeah, just for, like, bookkeeping. They split who's the home and road team. They Yes, they they that comeback came in the top of the seventh, not the bottom of the seventh. But... They still have all their fans there. I mean, I I will say that for the darkness purposes, being able to walk it off is slightly it more. Would fun. have been more fun. I agree. Uh, but it's, I, I'd have to look up when the last time was they hosted a super regional because last year obviously they, they I think they would have been on the road but then lost in the regionals and didn't make the super regionals ending their streak. Uh, the year before that, I'm pretty sure they were on the road. 2020 didn't happen. 2019, I feel like also they got screwed, and that was the year they were at Oklahoma in the They would have been regionals. hosting this anyway, though, whether LSU was knocked off or not. Correct. So no matter what they were hosting. Yes, this. top eight seeds host the Super Regionals. If they but advance. then the next round against UCLA. Which is in the College World Series. Okay. Yes. Okay. Is Oklahoma still alive? Oh. Are they number one? <laughs> Oh yeah, God, so stupid. They're like we're a, like we're like they're getting... like a run ruling teams in the finals of the regionals. It's like you know when you can see the thing down the road, like a, a ways. <laughs> the complaints about where they play the College World Series—they're coming. So just wait, wait on those. It's the Gonzaga theory, right? That like by being having the easy schedule, they got to fatten up to the point where they actually are good enough now to it's, legit I mean, compete. Yes, but also they host it every year. It's it's like Gonzaga on fucking steroids. 
It's like Gonzaga if they actually won something. Uh, Oklahoma scoreline this weekend. Uh, they beat Hofstra 11 nothing. They beat Missouri 11 nothing, And then they beat Cal 16-3. to So typically when the, like... World's college world women's college world series starts. Oklahoma does not leave Norman. Uh they they don't leave. I mean the the women's college world series is played in Oklahoma City, so they they are leaving Norman, but uh, they they play their entire schedule within about a thirty five mile radius or so, give or take. So, yeah, it is wild. Nobody ever was just like maybe we should move this around. Every other sport. Moves around their championship, right? I don't know if the college, men's college World Series moves around either. I think that's typically in Creighton or in Omaha, I should say. So, but yes, they, they do not move it around now. All right. Well, Creighton's asleep at the wheel. <laughs> the Gonzaga of the Plains. Is I, just, I also point. love that they're like, let's host these two events in the early summer. In the two places that people want to go the least in the world. <laughs> Just also, what like about s- it? Vegas was right there. So much, so so many thunderstorm delays. If if you want to play a game in a fucking desert, Las Vegas is always there and willing. Right? They would have been the softball town. Well, they could have been the softball town for a long time. Now all of a sudden, Vegas has the NFL and the MLB, and pretty soon the NBA. Not yet the MLB. Is there a holdup? Well, they still got to get that stadium deal done. Like five years from now, we're going to have all professional, all major men's professional sports in Las Vegas. Yes. How is there not a soccer team there yet? Uh, I mean, they have been long on the MLS's radar for expansion. Our constant discussion about MLS expansion was helpful the other day when that that conversation about how many teams are there now in MLS came up in the Storm Media Room. Uh, They were talking about that. So for a long period of time, the you NCAA... were like, well, you have to look to Asheville as the next site for MLS. <laughs> for a long period of time, the NCAA did not allow championships to be held in the state of Nevada because of the legalized gambling there. So it's only recently that that started. And now a lot of them are held there. But, okay. but I don't think they're moving the college softball, women's college world series. I'm, Oklahoma wouldn't like go of it over their cold, I, dead hands. I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend it, no. All right, a quick UW football note. Uh, Oregon cornerback Darren Barkins announced that he is committed to UW as a transfer. Uh, the 2021 recruit has three years of remaining eligibility. Played four games while Richard his first year at Oregon, eight games last year with 29 total defensive snaps. Woo! You know we love this. You know we love this number one of anything. He said, I want to go to the fastest school in the Pac-12. And that's how he ended up at the University of Washington. He was really monitoring the NCAA track results. Look. Or the Pac-12 track results. That's, that was the deal. Dar- Darren Parkins said, whoever is faster, that's where I'm going. Oregon, <laughs> UW, fastest school. We're a running school. I get that. We have athletes at the University of Washington. Oregon, they're slow. They're prodding. I understand. Uh, it's nice. Did Look, you say prodding or plotting? Prodding. <laughs> I think we're just plotting. plotting. <laughs> they prod too. Oh, well, I, I don't doubt that. At no point has Mario Cristobal been the coach of the University of Washington. That is, that is an accurate statement. Although Mario Cristobal never never uh, hit one of his players in the face. Isn't he the sign, Darren Parkins? 
Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, he would have signed there then. Something about Mario Cristobal made him want to play in Eugene. But okay. Uh, we'll see. I mean, Kaelin DeBoer seemed very excited about this one. I didn't see that. It was like a special woof. Oh, okay. It was a big woof. I mean, you're flipping a player from Oregon. Like, come on. Well, you know, I mean, he had already, you know, was in the transfer portal. It's not like he was just going to, like, go back to Oregon in all likelihood. But he was in the transfer portal, and then he transferred to the University of Washington he from did. Oregon. It's not the leaving, like, the fact that he entered the transfer portal that was issue. It was, you took a player from Oregon. There's, it's a little extra special. Okay. This is the seeing the darkness of the transfer portal. <laughs> Oh man, there's darkness all over the place these days. Had Jake Hayner returned, we don't have a problem with Fresno State. Oh, uh, we also don't have a problem with Jake Hayner's photo shoot. Right, or Indiana. You know, like yeah, th- there's nothing personal about that. It doesn't. It's good to have a good player, but flipping a player from Oregon is a bigger deal. All right, let's wrap up with the Seahawks, where we've also got some cornerback news. Uh, Unfortunately, Tariq Woolen underwent arthroscopic knee surgery Tuesday that is expected to sideline him until training camp, per my ESPN colleagues Adam Schefter and Brady Henderson. Woolen felt soreness in his knee last week ahead of OTAs. Uh, The Seahawks simultaneously on Tuesday re-signed veteran cornerback Artie Burns, a move Bob Condota reported was in the works before they learned Woolen would need knee surgery. The former Seahawks, former Seahawks, former Steelers first round pick saw action in three games for the Seahawks last season after signing a one year deal. I will tell you, we talked about strength on strength in when we did our uh, draft recap. And after seeing this news, there was never a better time to have drafted a cornerback in the top five. Yeah, I mean, this doesn't change Tariq Woolen's long term outlook at all. But, but still, yeah, it was like. If they hadn't drafted Devin Witherspoon in the top five, I think we'd be in a little bit more nervous. Right now, you can confidently say, at this point, even if Tariq Willen is still injured heading into the season, we don't know. You know, any any reports about him being back for training camp, I'm still pretty skeptical about. I mean, depending on the type of arthroscopic knee surgery, it can be, you know, it's a... 8 to 12 week situation. It'll probably be fine, but like you never know. And honestly, like training camps coming up pretty soon here. When I did the said the 8 to 12 weeks, I did the math and 12 weeks is in fact well into the preseason. I think yeah. at the conclusion of preseason That's August, basically. right? Yes. So again, there was never a better time to have drafted a cornerback in the top 5. And it definitely it it elite it it lessened the blow of this news. I mean, ultimately, like, the goal is to have Devin Witherspoon and Tariq Woolen play across from each other. But if Tariq Woolen is still going to be recovering, you want to have a lot of cornerbacks. That's yeah. just that's just the deal. I think the Seahawks, I think, they, I think they are kind of proven right pretty quickly here. I don't think they needed to be proven right on the positional value of cornerback. No. So... But they were proven right within the uh, needing of depth of cornerbacks, is what I'm saying. Of not just saying, you know, check, we've got it done. Correct. So, I I mean, I hope that Treak recovers very quickly and is back by training camp and is amazing as ever. He certainly expressed a lot of optimism on he Instagram. I, I fucking love Treak one. I saw that and I was just like, no. 
right? If we had to rank this, I don't think we should do this because this is a sinister thing to do. But if you were to rank just most uh, important uh, Seahawks, uh, just say that it's most important. I'm not going to say most important Seahawks. Athletes who are playing in the city of Seattle. Uh, How about this? Instead of not who we'd like to have injured least, but who we are young athletes who are most excited by. Julio is obviously like batting average, whatever aside. Julio is at a different level. But like beyond that, Drew Cullen is number two. I mean, Kellenic. There's a lot of Mariners I could list. <laughs> Bryce Miller, the, the, George Kirby. The rotation. <laughs> Matty Beneers has to be in this conversation. Oh, yeah, Beneers. So. But, but like, Tariq Woolen is really high up there. I mean, yeah. I Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think I'm probably more excited about than Devin Witherspoon, but maybe even more so than Tariq Woolen. Yeah, it's just never going to be as exciting a cornerback as a skill position player. But that's kind of it right there, right? That's yeah. that's everybody. And I, I mean, I guess, obviously, Charles Cross and people like that as well. Also, again, just not as exciting as skill position players. Uh, so important to have competent tackle play, but not as exciting. So if you were to choose pl- young players in Seattle you were most excited about in the city of Seattle, Trequel and Ranks. Top five? Players under 25, Julio, for me, Kalanick. Kalanick? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kalanick hit the, one of the 10 longest homers in the history of T-Mobile Park I yesterday. I just don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah. Bryce Miller or Kirby? <sighs> Probably still Kirby. Maybe also Bryce Miller. <laughs> Maybe also Bryce Miller, yes. And then is it, I, it's got to be JSN. Uh, I, I still think Woolen because we've seen him play at the NFL level. He's been a pro bowler. <laughs> pretty fucking wild. Ahead of Matty Veneers. Yeah. Because it's just, with all due respect to the Kraken, they're still not as important to us as the Seahawks. Okay. So he, he is a top five player, young player in the city of Seattle that we're most excited about. Yeah. So, again, hope that Tariq Woolen recovers quickly. For sure. On that note, thanks for listening. Thanks.